are listening to The Beat London 103.6 FM. And the time has come for us to speak to our special guest this week. That rhymes. <laughs> Isma, how are you? Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you, Bashak, for inviting me on the show. Of course. So for those of you who don't know, I actually came across Isma at a talk about race uh, kind of during the lockdown period, you know, when all of us were jumping on a thousand and one Zoom calls. And I was so impressed by uh, by her, I should say your a kind of eloquence and your candor around these more difficult issues. I kind of knew I had to poach you immediately. <laughs> it's, it's so nice and it's such an honor to be here. Thank you. Of course. So um, to, to kind of start us off, could you tell us mm. a little bit about what you do in corporate communications and how you came to be involved um, in speaking on these issues of race in the workplace to begin with? So first of all, thank you so much. Of um, I, I guess what I describe myself as being is a change and communications expert mm. with almost 20 years yeah, 20 years experience of wow. implementing these large scale change programs across several industries. Um, I'm based in Europe and for the past four years I've been working in Switzerland and um, my most recent role was at the pharma giant Roche where I was an executive communications lead supporting wow. the senior leaders. Yeah, of the uh, 15,000 strong. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing for the, this commercial division that had 15,000 people. Wow. But you know what? That's my professional self. Mm. I would say my personal self, I would describe as um, being British of mm. Indian heritage. Mm. Uh, a born and bred Londoner. I don't know if you can tell, but um, <laughs> as, uh, as Me too. with like, yeah, excellent. And uh, you know, like with most people, the reality is a bit more complicated mm. because my parents were born in Congo and in Kenya, and so I'm also in an interracial relationship with um, with Tristan, who's my husband. Wow! And um, so a lot of interesting so, you know, ethnicities and identities kind yeah. of being melted in there. Uh, which, Absolutely. Which, which I find so fascinating and, and I think totally um, probably just influences your worldview on, on life and how, how you approach certain things. Uh, we spoke a little bit offline actually around this conditioning um, and there's a kind of responsibility all of us have to be aware of where we come from, whether or not we're Indian heritage or Turkish or whoever, whatever else, right? And and how our unconscious biases form that conditioning. Um mm -hmm. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Because, but it seems like we've both been around kind of more ethnic uh, worldviews and ethnic people, um, and so it's not necessarily uh, unfamiliar for me or for for yourself. What happens if you grew up in rural Oxfordshire, you know, and it was a purely a white school with white people and all that stuff? Um, how are we responsible for the belief systems we carry into? Uh, our, our professional world, our personal world, uh, given where we come from, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's, that's you know, a really great question. <laughs> Meaty question for you and there, I, start you off. Yeah, you know, why not? Well, why not? you know what, I would say you could, mm. as a white person, easily live your whole life unburdened with the idea of racism. You could basically work, play, socialise, have a family with people who look exactly the same as you. Mm. And you 
could also be sympathetic for a while to people of color, like when major incidents happen. Mm. And you will probably think, most likely think that racism is a random act of meanness, something that wow. you basically read about on the news, on Facebook, you know, you add a little sad emoji onto it. Mm. Um, but actually in your mind, racism is something that other people do like not you mm, and mm. um i would say that one thing that i've actually learned from uh i don't know if you've heard of this book white fragility yes. by robin d'angelo so she was at the number one new york times bestseller list and it's quite controversial mm. what she's saying and it's that the world is geared up for white people to succeed so mm. the default is white, mm. you know, mm. and if the default is white, it follows that basically shapes what you see and what you don't see. Mm. And that is the conditioning. And um, mm. I would sort of reinforce that by sharing with you that uh, an imaginative way of explaining it from actually a white author as well, David Foster Wallace, is that imagine there are these two young fish swimming along. And they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? Mm. And the two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks at the other and says, what the hell is water? And um, I like this analogy because you can see that this life-giving substance, the water, mm. is conditioning and is completely invisible mm. to the fish swimming in it. And, you know, like racism is such a fascinating, complex subject. And it's just usually boiled down to simplistic views. Mm. And so, you know, my advice to your white listeners, to the person who's out there in rural Oxfordshire, is basically to start to educate yourself. Mm. Basically, too many people think you can't be a racist and a good person. Mm. Well, wrong. You can be a really well-intentioned mm. moral person and you can still hold racist views. Mm. But basically, until you shine, you know, like a torchlight, a bright light into your unconscious, mm. you won't see this issue like three-dimensionally. No. So when... Oh, I was just going to add that, you know, I'm so happy that we've got a US vice presidential candidate Kamala, Kamala Harris. Harris you know we yeah. talked about this offline and she said recently there's no vaccine for racism mm. we just have to do the work mm, mm, mm. and um, I really found this profound because you know I believe she's making a plea for individuals to go deep and examine their own identities of you know their own ideas of racial identity mm. Um, and I think, you know, apart from educating yourself, doing the usual, you know, I really hope people are making the best use of like Netflix, seeing the amount of, you know, great Black Lives Matter movies, sure. YouTube talks. You also choose books. to educate yourself from a literature point of view. Um, exactly. Because that's where it starts. You know, if you are able to. And this is, I guess, my, my, my other question is, OK, cool. I've done the education bit. And I understand theoretically maybe where I'm going mm. wrong or theoretically what unconscious biases I hold. What advice mm. do you have for white listeners tuning in um, who want to better navigate a black consciousness? And that's what we spoke about a lot offline that they're not necessarily mm. familiar with because it's not actually a, a, a 2D subject. It's a lived experience, it's a cultural mm. experience. It's a 
Um, and then you have structural ramifications of that, absolutely. But mm. how do you better navigate uh, a, a black dialect or a black? You know, it's unf- it's a f- unfamiliar country for you, right? Even if you're mm. coexisting in the same city, and this is why we mm. have such a tale of two cities, often in America, where you know white people get treated fundamentally differently than than and, and uh, black people do in terms of police brutality, in terms of a thousand and one things. Mm. How do you navigate that as a well-intentioned? white person yeah i mean i love that and you know even Mm. in london the capital itself has got 40 percent you know non-white that's great you Mm. know but often there's um people do not mingle and my question is then to that it's my answer to your question is really think about honesty can you be self-honest and ask yourself, why am I not familiar mm. with people of color in my social circles? Like, mm. what's stopping me? You mm. know, mm. why am I not going to the pub with them? Or yeah, uh, yeah, what, yeah. how come I've never had a conversation with that person? Mm. And I think, really, it's time to wake up and get curious. I really don't think this is um, a, a black or a person of color issue. It's about white people understanding some of their privilege of their life and and wondering actually how can i why what's preventing me and how can i bridge the gap going there sure exactly because it's time it's it's more than time and also if you don't bridge the gap uh the 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 consequences can be deadly um for for black people as we've seen uh so you have again except with what i said which is you have a responsibility to do so um and i'm really firm about that um, in our initial discussions, actually, we spoke about Hackney MP uh, Diane Abbott's view. Um, so just mm. to bring it back to the workplace now, uh, she had said uh, in a talk that I went to uh, in Hackney, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, that you shouldn't yeah. bring your whole self to work and that the professional arena is not necessarily the most appropriate exercise of that self-expression, whether or not you're black or white. She just said, okay, professionalism is professionalism. You stay mm. away, you know, your personality, I think that was the main point, should stay uh, out of that um, out of that sphere. I would love to know what you think about this. Um, are we mm. are we damaging ethnic minorities? I'm not going to just say black people, ethnic minorities, people of color, by mm. not allowing them to be fully themselves? Or mm. do you feel like, actually, this is the way it goes, and yes, there should be a separate uh, mode of operation. I think that's the word uh, in in professional spaces. You know, you ask such brilliant, hard hitting <laughs> questions. You know that are relevant to the times. And you know, since that offline conversation, yeah. that you know, it was really thought provoking. Mm-hmm. I examined my own experience of identity at work. You know, been working for twenty years, so I love the idea of bringing your whole self to work. So you know, more than your rational, objective side, your intuitive, mm-hmm. your emotional, your spiritual self. Right. Mm-hmm. However, I actually agree with Diane Abbott on, at the moment that you know, you can't bring your whole self to work. And uh, let me explain why. Please. Um, from my Dying perspective, um, you know, companies have cultures. Um, there's a way of doing and being that is largely accepted and rewarded. And often the culture code, despite being written, is usually invisible. Mm. And, you know, you learn through years of experience to navigate it. So, you know, if you're black and you turn up to a formal workplace with your hair natural and wearing something super casual, people will unconsciously mm. judge the effectiveness of your work and mm. your professionalism. You know, if you express your emotional self about your pain 
and your grief mm. about you know these really horrible like world events related to race mm. it be met with silent judgment unless you have specifically been asked you know to uh, to express your feelings and your views mm. and it, you know it feels risky to be your most fullest authentic self mm. at work mm. because of the color of your skin and I would say, mm. you know, maybe this is also a bit controversial, but I would go Please. as far as to say that as a person of colour, you experience increased pressure and expectations, you know, to wear a mask, to hide mm. your true authentic self. And mm. why? Because you function, you know, not only as a representative and a brand ambassador for the company that you work for, mm. but you also represent other people of colour mm. because you operating as a you know minority Monolith. in a majority yeah. white workplace yeah. you know you feel this added extra pressure to behave mm. in a you know accepted way and if your white colleagues really haven't come across necessarily a black person before and you're the only black person in the room and and for example to use that previous uh iteration of, of being from you know oxfordshire Sorry to anyone there. Yeah. Um, if you are from Oxfordshire <laughs> uh, and you, you do only see this one black person, then yes, actually, that becomes a very lived yeah. experience where that one black person is your only proximity to anything ethnic or ra- race, racial or or any racial pain even, right? Racial struggle, you know. On the days leading up to George Floyd, a lot of my black friends um, didn't want to go into work and couldn't function mm. and had to take the weekend mm. off. And there's a trauma mm. we don't talk about. And mm. um, the weight of that itself, mm. um, you don't get to take it off. You don't get to, as soon as you leave uh, work or when you come into work, take off your skin. Um, because you of the preconceived notions that precede you, um, you're having to live with that plus the uh, historical wait every single day so it's it's a lot <laughs> you know, it's a lot and you know somehow then you start to see yourself with so if you're that black person the only black person at work you start to see yourself through the lens mm. of other people and you change your behavior mm. and um to be more white to be not, more accepting to be softer to be to be more acceptable yeah. Yeah. yeah and and i also think you know um you know in relation to your question i think being sadly I think being professional is equated to being as white as possible Mm. and therefore speaking a certain way is seen as professional too you know I came across this word which I didn't know there was a word for this code switching you know changing the natural way that you express yourself to like fit in and belong and you know my mum would would have said you know don't speak posh at home you know none uh, of that give me the real version but you know you have to switch it up I've been doing it Mm-hmm. And you know why I do it? I've been doing it completely awares, unaware, sorry, mm-hmm. because I've noticed that my thoughts are better received when I match my listener's way of speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of get it. There's Okay, and hold on that thought. It's... We are taking yes. a break because, oh, that was <laughs> too good. But I'm going to leave the listeners on a cliffhanger. You are listening to The Beat London on a 3.6 FM on my show, The Social. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with Uzma Muhammad Ali very, very shortly. What's up, guys? You are listening to The Beat London, the heartbeat to your city. Right before the break, we were catching up with comm specialist Uzma Muhammad Ali about all things related to race in the workplace. We actually stopped at a really critical point, so I do want to revisit 
Isma, how are you doing? How are you feeling? First of all, I'm well. I'm really well. Good. Thank you. And you did leave us on a cliffhanger. I did. <laughs> I had to do it. I was like, oh, gotta give them some music and keep them waiting. Uh, okay, so right before the break, we did speak about uh, whether or not it's damaging to bring your whole self to a professional environment and whether or not that's acceptable. Um, could you finish off telling us your thoughts about that? Mm, sure. I mean, is it damaging to be different at work and elsewhere? Mm. For me personally, not so much, but it could be for some people. And, you know, at the extreme end of the spectrum, I think it could very easily lead to mental health problems. Mm. Because people feel constrained? You know, uh, if you really feel, uh, for example, somebody um, I heard them uh, in one of the microaggressions and um, workshops that I led, mm. you know, they were bringing their most inauthentic self to work. Mm. They were changing the way they would speak, how they're dressing. Mm. You know, in the end, beyond that could code have a switching, it's not effect. a code switch at that point. It's it's a switch. No, right. Yeah, to accept to be to you know to really fit in, mm. and so you know I think we I think a lot of people have to be conscious that a they're doing it and b that for other people that they are kind of um, promoting that kind of behaviour more to kind of fit in that uniformity that conformity mm. at work. Mm. Mm. And I guess uh, in terms of promoting behaviour at work, this is a good segue onto. The, the, the responsibility um, that leaders have in corporate spaces, whether they're black or white, uh, to help support mm. uh, their, their minority employees, uh, both during, I think, things like George Floyd, when it really is just stressing and it's traumatic mm. and it, it is a bit of that upheaval we spoke about earlier, um, and also in the day-to-day -day moments um, to make sure they feel supported and seen. Uh, yeah. how, how do they uh, how how can they actually be uh, very kind of hands-on i'm sure there's a lot of again well-intentioned white people that want to do better mm. where does it start? you know like a you don't know absolutely i think there's a bit of a collective blind spot around race and it's really complex and uh you know what's really fascinating is that all the organizations that i worked for or you know who've also been my clients say exactly the same thing mm. that they have a responsibility to ensure that all their employees voices are heard mm. respected supported and you know all leaders seem mm. to echo this mm. so like what's happening why is the theory not mm. matching the practice mm. and so um a really good article from the harvard business review this month called how to promote racial equity in the workplace uh, clearly hits the nail on the head it says the real challenge for organizations is not figuring out what can we do, but rather, are we willing to do it? You know, are leaders in the oh, boardroom Lord. willing to change? You know, it doesn't it send Thank shivers. Thank for you. No, really, it's that's you know, powerful. Are we willing you know, to we, do it? Absolutely. You know, to look inside and to start with ourselves or to, for leaders to start with themselves. You know, mm. at the top of the hierarchy mm. are the able-bodied, mm. white, mm -hmm. middle-class mm -hmm. men mm -hmm. who enjoy this decision-making power. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know... And have done for millennia. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it takes a bold leader to start to think, like, what do I need to give up mm. in order to help people of colour mm. rise through the ranks? And actually, it's more emotionally trying than that because you're not giving up... Yeah. A, a salary cut or it's not anything that's tangible it's your white privilege that you may have not even been aware that you have and when you are aware of it makes you deeply uncomfortable makes you guilty 
um, in in university, yeah. I studied white privilege completely, and, and the amount of guilt white people had um, yeah. was 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 a, was a reality, and also a, a good indication as to why these things haven't necessarily uh, materialized in tangible results, um, because they don't know where to start, and if they do, they feel bad about it. It's you not know, good enough, but that's like, the truth. We are on the. We are absolutely on the same wavelength, you know, like, what is the privilege that I enjoy? What is the, mm. so that a leader could ask, what is it that I enjoy that others do not? Mm. And what is in my power to change this? And how do I you send know? the and, elevator back down? That's what we're yeah, asking. Yeah, I like absolutely. that. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, the thing is, I am seeing the shoots of like positive change. And, you know, uh, large businesses are awakening to the issue of like poor diversity and inclusion since the protests around sure. George Floyd's sure. murder. And, you know, some are taking steps to address it. And often it starts with examining like the cold, hard numbers of people of color representation. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a good start, I would say. You know, I've seen like manifestos that commit to increasing specific, you know, mm -hmm, diversity mm -hmm, of specific mm -hmm, groups by a specific year, mm -hmm. you know, in white so, color So for you, it does start. I've spotted innovation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sorry, I was going to say, the, so the empowerment of yeah, no. black people start with these more data-driven analysis uh, to a better world. Yeah. Is that is that fair to say? And it, is so. that hiring? With, is that I'm, more diversity? Is that greater promotions? Exactly. Okay. And all, all the above. start with what does reality look like? Yeah. Mm. You know, and um, the, the good thing is that I'm seeing like innovations and new networks. I don't know if you've heard of this, but the Black Only Network, which is Black yes. Young Professionals Network. And you know, it acts like a LinkedIn. It's already got 30,000 wow. business connections, probably more now, mm. which is amazing. You know, and I also came across this um, mentoring program called A Leader Like Me, mm. which is a 12 week development program set up by a lady called Avita Patel and Priya Bates. Mm that actually to specifically help women of color to develop into leadership roles and i think it's great because you know it's born from their experience mm. of not seeing women who look like them mm. in such roles like around a boardroom table and so these are going you know these go some way towards creating opportunities for people of color but mm. i have to say bashak the most important thing that any leader could Tell do me. to help black employees feel supported and seen you know yeah. is to talk to them candidly and mm. ask them well i'd ask the leaders how can you mm. as a leader create a safe space to support others speaking up and that's that's it it's, it's that first initial conversation which can you know if they do trust you and there is a rapport there can build to better things and also uh create more structural change you know if the person says for example actually i don't feel represented there is i'm the only black person in the room they can actively work on um, hiring measures they can actively work on getting more people in that that are more diverse to, to, to kind of also strengthen the voice of of the of the company don't forget yes, you know much like women having more diverse uh, workforce actually benefits yeah. the gdp of a company i don't have the exact facts right now but yeah. that's kind of known to be very yeah. very true yeah. Um, why would you not? <laughs> Especially if it promotes think, greater you know, mental health and all the other things as well. But it all starts with, are you willing to change? That's Is that leader powerful. willing to Thank do that? Thank you for that. Are you willing? Mm. And, and and let's talk mm. about Thank the you. other side of the coin then today. Um, what about self-belief? Given the amount of structural issues that are working against people of colour, 
every single day um a bit of what we touched on microaggressions a lack of representation etc um how mm. how how does a, a black person or an ethnic minority person listening in uh look at all of that ugliness and i'm going to call it that because it is ugly um that mm. ugly truth i should say and and and, and say oh, well i'm going to apply for that job anyway i'm going to go for the corporate anyway i'm going to go for the commercial anyway um, what what is the incentive to do any of that? Because actually, they've shown time and time again they don't like us, they don't see us, they don't support us. Mm. You know, I'm I'm really mm. glad that you've touched on this mm. because you know it can feel like the odds are really stacked against people of color. Mm. But one great thing that no one can touch is your self belief. Yes. And for me, self belief is that you know. I've got my hand on my heart. It's that unshakable inner belief in yourself yes. that tells you that you can do it and you will do it. Mm -hmm. No and, matter you know, what. A big part of that. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know, it comes from self-awareness, mm. you know, and that is knowing and building on your strengths and weaknesses. So knowing your strengths means that you can make good decisions and that you can be proactive. You can reach out for those new opportunities, mm. but also it means that you can close the door on things that don't work yes. in your favor. You know, oh, without self-belief, you could really think that you basically fall into anything. this corporate world. Mm. Well, you could think it's not for you without this self-belief. You can think, God, this is just not for me. But I'm here to kind of tell your yes. listeners that the corporate space is available. Amazing. And, you know, you don't have to fear the challenges. You and they do are have there. We're not sugarcoating it. The challenges are there. You know, you but to be fearful of them means mm. that you won't broach them, mm, right? So mm, mm, mm. also if you respect all people, that's really important. But mainly I would say if you feel confident of your abilities and you feel beneath no one, I can't see why you wouldn't just go for it, you know, create mm. that vision yeah. and just go after it. Absolutely. And, and forge your own path, much like you have done. Um, I'd like to think yeah. that you're, you're a living testament uh, to, the, to the idea that women of color can not only succeed, but thrive. So thank you so much for this conversation, genuinely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, how can we find you on socials or LinkedIn? And, 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 and uh, what is next for you in this space? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, up to this point, I've been successful in changing communications, like, you know, across several industries. Mm -hmm. But now I'm contemplating, how can I change people's mindsets to create a more, you know, just and an equal society, Oof. and whether that's in a corporate sphere or mm -hmm. outside of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I hope your listeners found this kind of useful. I'd definitely be happy to hear feedback through LinkedIn. You know, look forward to connecting. And, you know, thank you so much for having me on the social, Bashak. I'm really feeling the love. Lovely. And if you want to <laughs> uh, connect with uh, Isma on LinkedIn, as she mentioned, I'll have her LinkedIn uh, social kind of URL on my Instagram at Bash London. That's Bash LDN. So get in touch through those channels. Thank you again. Um, keep it all the way on the beat. We've got some music coming up.